This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. Welcome to High Stakes. Angie Caldwell is the managing principal of PYA's Tampa office. A significant amount of her work is around physician compensation, a topic that is right at the top of many, maybe most providers' lists right now as we sort through the financial fallout of the past few months. Here, Angie speaks with David Gerard about physician compensation redesign, the shift to value-based arrangements and the resistance to it, and some issues running under the radar that providers need to bring to the surface. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share it with a few friends who also want to keep up with the latest expert healthcare insight. So let's, I mean, let's start big picture. I'm, you work with physicians all the time and you work with organizations who are working with physicians all the time. And I know there's some specific things I want to dive into with you, but would you just talk about what the, what's the environment like out there now? Employed physicians, non-employed physicians, providers in general, what's, what's the mood? Yeah, it's interesting. Pre-pandemic, folks were really in a groove, right? And many organizations were starting to think long-term about physician compensation redesign and incorporating more at-risk elements for value and, and working that into their compensation plans. The pandemic came along and then it just really switched to survival mode, right? You have just really trying to make sure that providers are where they are needed at a particular time and in a particular place, or if they're not needed in a particular place at a particular time, making sure that they're not there. So then it was just an immediate, you know, batten down the hatches, do what we have to do. As some areas across the country are starting to recover as elective surgeries have come back on and the like, we're seeing more interest again come back to that focus of maybe it's time to take a look at our our compensation design and structures because they weren't necessarily structured or or set up to to handle what just happened so we're starting to see some folks coming back to what can we do to make it so that we don't have the the highs and lows especially in a productivity-based model so talk a little bit about that productivity-based model and a non-productivity-based model as hospitals sort of do the calculations that they need to do now. Exactly. So in a, in a non-productivity-based model, you know, shift-based type model, the if the physician is there, they're being paid for the service, whether there's a patient there or not. It's The light is on, so the service is being paid for. Mm-hmm. So productivity-based model is typically a work RVU-based model. So if the work RVU isn't there, then the, the physician is not um, compensated other than for their base compensation. That, of course, is the, the guaranteed component of that. And there are mer- many variations and forms, draw, you know, greater of uh, models. But from a pandemic perspective, shift-based compensation, that clearly the, the light is on, you're providing for the service, whether there's a patient in the bed or not. So that's a, that's a cost to the hospital without the offsetting collection or reimbursement for the, for the patient service. Right. For the productivity-based physician during the pandemic, there weren't patients to serve as elective surgeries went away. There weren't work RVUs being generated. So the physician received their base compensation where in many cases and in all likelihood they were used to receiving a a productivity incentive bonus on top of that so 
no work RVs to generate that. So then folks are left wondering how to, how to, or should they make up the difference? Do you see this accelerating the shift to per member per month kind of compensation models, population health? We, we do. We, does, it, does it drive us in this direction and how fast? We do, especially in primary care, you know, with how much easier would it have been if the inflow of reimbursement was steady? as you said, based upon a a patient panel, based upon a per member per month, it would have been so much easier from a cash flow perspective had had hospitals and employers been able to do that. But of course they weren't. So now now there's a focus of can can we get there and, and can we do that reasonably whenever it is that we're able to get to the other side of this or or at least manage it better there will be a revisit and a a comeback to that conversation for sure. A two-part question, how quickly is that gonna happen? And does does the existing platform of physicians survive? Right. Meaning, will hospitals in the future, frankly, need as many physicians as they they had in February? As they did before. And that's an interesting question. I think as soon as folks are able to focus on their provider agreements, they're going to come around to this and 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 try to get to that that magic place um, where there is a, a steady a steadier reimbursement from an employed provider pool perspective. You know, I think it it will it will maintain. Um, if I had to prognosticate a bit, I think it will maintain. They still need the same number of physicians. They might. Employers might not be hiring right now necessarily. You know, there are statistics out there in the industry that the the recruiters open searches dropped 30 percent, you know, and that's unheard of. Right. We've heard of a physician shortage. We've heard of all these recruiting needs. And all of a sudden overnight, 30 percent, boom those, you know, those roles were, were taken off the recruiter's plates. So I think there's definitely still a need for that employed provider. And all of a sudden the market shifted from a, a seller's market to a buyer's market when it came to the number of physicians out there. Um, so there are physicians that are looking and they might not immediately have a place to go. There probably is a recovery out there. And there are a lot of uh, private practices out there right now that are knocking on the hospital's door to say, we we can't do this anymore. The financial risk is too great. We want to practice medicine. It's very difficult to be, you know, to, to run a business and also practice medicine and do all that we need to do. So, you know, we need, we need some help. So we are seeing that trend out there for sure. Yeah, we've we've done a couple of surveys of uh, physicians for some some of our healthcare system clients, and they're finding just what you're saying, which is there were there were physicians who may have been considering a different kind of future, maybe even leaving medicine or doing something else, and that number doubled between the February and uh, the ex- the experience that people are having now. It's a substantial shift in the mindset of physicians, particularly independent physicians. Yes, yes. And I've heard that same shift in other therapists as well. Physical therapists are expressing much dissatisfaction. You know, we hear they, 
I, I can't touch my patient anymore, you know, because of all of the, all of the PPE and the distance and, and, and everything. And, and so you're right. There's a, there's a great dissatisfaction right now that, that honestly I hope goes away over time and we're able to, to manage and innovate through it because we, we have to have these folks. <laughs> have to have these folks, right? And so it is a, it is a buyer's market if you're a health system at the moment, but I also have heard and I think you noted it in your webinar last week that there are also uh, potential disruptors entering the market. And I'm thinking of a variety of sort of PE backed players, but I'm, there's the big brand names of you know, CVS, Walgreens and Walmart who are at least threatening to be opening clinics and engaging all these positions. How long do you think our health systems have to sort of calculate and then keep the positions that they want to keep and understand what competitors might be entering their market. Right. I think that disruption is, is here to stay. These other disruptors have been talking about and planning to do this for a while. Mm -hmm. And quietly, all of a sudden it's it's happening and it's it, right and it's happening now under the radar while everything else is going on. So like you said, it's a buyer's market. There are physicians in the market these disruptors might not have the same stress and difficulty in filling those positions that that our hospital friends have had in the past because there there is a an opportunity right now with the number of providers in the market and so here we are and you know i think from a timing perspective it's going to be it, to me and again just you know this is my opinion on this, the healthcare and physician patient relationships are very personal. So to the yeah. extent that that relationship is managed and well done, then to take that patient away from that physician, it's going to probably have to take more than a, than an Amazon shop down the street to break that relationship. But for folks, and, and we know the statistics on all the folks that don't get the care that they need or or don't go have a primary care physician and that kind of thing for that per person wow they've got a, a world of opportunity and a whole whole different physician selection to choose from including telehealth and just yeah. you know how how important that is Hopefully and, and compared to sort of the, the the mystery box that are often health systems in terms of cost I'm going to go to CVS or Amazon. I'm going to assume I know what the price is. I know if there's a copay, what it is. I know exactly what my risk is financially. Um, and that and during the recession can be really attractive as well. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I don't know if, if you've ever used telehealth, um, the pandemic. I have looked at several doctor's foreheads for a couple of visits. <laughs> The pandemic also forced me to use telehealth. I, it wasn't that I was afraid to use telehealth. It's just that I, I have a relationship with a physician, so I didn't, I didn't find the need. The pandemic forced the need, forced the issue, and wow, what an awesome option uh, for all of us. And hope, like I said, hopefully it's here to stay. It's here. Hopefully it's here to stay. I agree. Super convenient for, for me it's, and to have a doctor show up on time to the 15 minute mark. That's a remarkable experience all by itself. 
Yes. But, but it's also one of the challenges, right, when we get to physician compensation, because the money for telehealth isn't exactly the money for that in-office visit anymore. Yep. Yep. You've got it. And so one of the things that I think will be another hot button as it relates to physician compensation and physician compensation design is to make sure in those physician arrangements that, that those physicians are getting paid appropriately for telehealth. You know, whether it's on a per work review basis, a per click basis, call coverage related to telehealth. You know, there's there's so much going on in that space right now to ensure that that is shored up in future arrangements is, is going to be important. Uh, I love the thought of a uh, physician being paid on a per click basis. It <laughs> changes the whole mindset, but it's um, but it's a reality, right? That we're that we're, that we're facing, and I, I think is a more of a challenge for some older physicians who may be looking for a different path in their career than than younger ones who have lived in the video world and digital world their their entire careers. Yeah, yeah. Although I, I have to say, the first the person that I saw telehealth was an older gentleman. And he said, I'm not going to retire for another 15 years. <laughs> he right. said, I love this. He said, this is easy. So, you know, maybe who knows, there might be a, an awesome opportunity out there to extend the, the work life of, of the aging physician population through telehealth. Wouldn't you know? that be, what, a, what a great thought to, to keep that wisdom and the, that, those smarts around instead of relying on an EMR to tell you what to prescribe and not because you've got people who've been around and seen it all. I love yeah. that thought. Yeah, exactly. There they are and they, they have better set hours, more fixed hours, because like you said, it's 15 minute increments. They're there. They can do it from home or wherever. Yeah. Yeah. It might be an awesome opportunity. It's a great thought. I love that. I, I, uh, so you, you, you used a phrase earlier. I want to come back to you. Talk, talked about compensation design, which is such a great word. Because when, when we survey our physicians or physicians of our clients, when they think about compensation, of course, they're talking about money, but to the, to the things you've already said also, they're interested in time, they're interested in sort of their lifestyle and their work-life balance. When you, when you work with your clients to help them think about compensation, is it, is it purely about the, the money or is it more than the money as you think about how to keep these doctors going forward? Yeah, absolutely more more than just about the money. The design of the physician compensation really has to follow how the physician works, how they go about their, their, their daily practice. And then with that, whatever compensation plan that is in place has to incentivize the physician to do the best that they can in that daily work. So, you know, the example, we talked about a productivity-based model and a non-productivity-based model a moment ago. You know, there you could make the argument that a work RVU model in a, in a hospitalist-type setting might not be the right model for the way that physician works. Not to say that that can't work, but if you think about the difference in the way a orthopedic surgeon works versus the way a hospitalist works, there's definitely a different design related to that physician compensation that that more closely, again, aligns with how that physician goes about their daily practice. Mm -hmm. So as, as you as you work with your health systems to advise them on how, and how they need to be acting now, not even six months from now, but today, what are you 
what's a priority for them? What, what should they be focused on? Yeah. So thinking about coming out on the other side of this, uh, yeah. the conversation is going to come back to how do we put more value-based compensation into physician arrangements? Yeah. And is that value then aligned with the strategic goals of the hospital or health system? So, you know, surveys out there of physicians, a lot of physicians don't like the thought of being paid on a, on a value-based metric. They feel like they're getting paid to check a box in the EMR system. So that's one thing that as hospitals and organizations put more at risk for value, they'll have to think about are, is what they are measuring really valuable and is it really important for the organization strategically? And to the extent that it is, then how much of that then can we use to help pay the physician for helping helping them achieve that goal. So that's one thing that I see that's definitely gonna come up. And that alignment isn't easy. Um, there's no perfect formula for getting that accomplished because each organization's problems and, and strategies and, and needs are, are different. That's interesting because you're, you're teeing up a whole conversation about what is, what is value when it comes to the delivery of care and what is valuable to that physician and even even to that kind of physician, the primary care physicians come to it with a, a very different mindset than a surgeon. Yes, yes, very different. So I would imagine in in the design of those value-based systems, the physicians are like integral to the creation of it itself, right? To the engineering and to the wiring. So having great relationships with the physicians that matter and bringing them in to that design work is like part of the creativity here. Right. Yes. Yes. You bet. To design those metrics without the input of the physicians could be problematic. Again, they they don't they do not want to feel like they're being compensated to check the box in the EMR when they feel that it's not making a difference and doesn't doesn't matter to the patient or the organization. Um, so and to involve them at the front end is is incredibly important going forward and you know it's the talk about value-based compensation and adding it to the compensation plan or program design you know a few years ago everyone rushed to do it it was the it was the hot thing to do so organizations would warm warm up the process so to speak by putting some very easy things into physician agreements to to achieve you know maybe one or two things and and very little dollars and and what we found was while the while the intent was to get everybody accustomed to paying for value getting them you know used to maybe moving to, to having even more at risk for value what we found in many cases that it just irritated everyone you know some <laughs> metrics were set up where they couldn't you know metrics couldn't be measured oh we'll put this in the agreement oh we can't measure it now what are we going to do or the or the dollar value wasn't enough to really incentivize the physician to do it you know, it wasn't it wasn't enough or or worth it to the physician. So, uh, what it ended up doing that rush to get it accomplished just to say that you had value based incentives in your arrangements that rush didn't work and it it simply frustrated everyone. I think, which which makes everyone even more cautious today. 
you know, there's the there's the COVID sort of crazy environment that we're in, and who knows how long that's going to last. And it seems to continue to wave around, so it's hard to it's hard to pin down. And then the previous experiences make it a very sensitive conversation to have, and yet it's one that has to happen. Yes, yes, absolutely. Long-term sustainability is key. You know, uh, physician-owned, uh, hospital-owned physician practices tend to lose money, and some of them tend to lose a lot of money. And so <laughs> as hospital systems are looking at that long-term viability and sustainability, they're looking at some of these physician practices as a way to to better understand and get to a better place from financial health for the health system as a whole. Do you have a, a rule of thumb in, that you use to help health systems understand what percentage of future compensation is going to be value-based? I'm not sure where it is today. It's pretty small, I think, overall today, but the sense of the folks we talk with is it's going to shift and shift fairly dramatically in the next year. Yes, yes. Most of what we see is about 10% at risk for value. Yeah. The surveys will say that the range is 10 to 20%. The more, the more modern organizations, the ones that are currently updating and modernizing their plans are moving to that 20% mark fairly rapidly. Other organizations after all of this, you know, they can focus on it, uh, probably will go for more 20, 10, 10% where they are now to probably more of a 30%, 25 to 30% mark. We hope. Well, we hope. Indeed. Because um, yeah. I assume that reimbursement is going to follow the same track, right? It'll be more and more the value base looking for the, for yes. the wellness people that are being cared for. Yes, exactly. To steady out and smooth out that cash flow as well. Another item that as an organization, I think they should have on their radar in addition to value-based compensation, to the extent that a compensation plan is tied to benchmark survey data. What is going to happen to the benchmark survey data when people report during this COVID period? So what is happening in 2020? We won't see the impact of that until the 2020 surveys are released in 2021. What is going to happen to that oh, yeah. data when we finally see it? You know, the surveys have not, in many cases, clarified how they're going to ask for that data from respondents yet. We've actually been on the phone with several of them asking, are you going to request that a COVID period be excluded? What COVID period would you ask to be excluded? It's different depending upon where you are in the country. Yeah, right. right. So to the extent that a compensation plan is tied to a benchmark, it will be interesting to see and organizations will need to be prepared as to how they're, they're going to handle potential blips and unreliable data that's, that's going to come about. Potential blips and unreliable data. That sounds like... United States for the last 100 days. <laughs> yes. Yes. What's next, right? <laughs> What's next? So you, as, as you've been talking about the, the design of compensation, um, it, it's made me think about sort of the, the origin for so many health systems, which is the contracts they have with the physicians, the, the, those initial agreements. 
And I, I wonder, as you think about your work or the work the health system is doing, how much of that redesign is really going to happen there. So it should it should start with a review of sort of what what their base is, what what they understand their agreements are today, and how what flexibility is built into it. I imagine not a lot actually. Right, right. It it will be really important to know what you have, where the risks are. There's a good opportunity now to look back at those written agreements and assess the assess the holes. Yes. Uh, many of those agreements did not anticipate compensation during a pandemic. So now's a great opportunity to to have some help in drafting up some some language around that. What happens? What happens? How how do amendments to the agreements happen as a result of that? Yes. You know, there's so much to, to think about, but that would be a, a great first step in in moving forward. It, it'd be my my thought and, and is our advice to some of our clients that this strange environment, as stressful as it is, also gives us and gives the organizations permission to do some difficult things or have some difficult conversations or conduct some reviews that that may have been more politically fraught in the past when things were when things were different. And the mistake would be not to take advantage of of that moment of having that permission. Absolutely. Transparency will be key in continuing those those conversations and with with sustainability being at the top of, of everyone's minds as we think about the the losses that these health systems have incurred in the first quarter and going into the second quarter of 2020 sustainability is on the minds of of everyone and that will that will be part of that i would hope that it would be part of that conversation with those employed physicians uh, i would hope so as well and i and my hope is that providers are are close to the table or at the table as organizations are redesigning themselves for what is a sustainable future. My sense is that health systems are going to be very different in 24 months or 36 months than they are today and then will require a different level of sustainability from their physicians and it's it's a little hard today to know exactly what that's going to be. Oh yeah, oh yeah, physician leaders, you hit on a, another hot item. Physician leaders, how are those physician leaders going to be utilized to help the health system? As you said, the leaders need to be at the table to help the health system get through this next phase of design and and helping the health system navigate what might happen next. That's a that's a whole other other area of, of interest for sure. For sure. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure it's interesting to the physicians as well. I, I can't imagine if you're a physician today, you're not thinking about sort of existentially, well, what am I doing here? And what's the right path for me? There's, there's a, we, we've seen a little bit of splitting between the relationship between the physician and the health systems as they both sort of experience the, the recession and the other impacts of, of the pandemic. And I, I think some of the work of the health systems is to, is to fill that gap, is to draw them close again. Uh, particularly those physicians and physician groups they consider most essential. Yes, yes, because that that will be key in into navigating and, and getting through all this, and then making sure then from a compensation perspective that that's all aligned. When those physician leaders are at the table and willing to help, making sure then that that physician arrangement 
is set up to compensate the physician for the value that they're bringing from a leadership perspective to to help with that navigation that'll be that'll be super important this this work is so important because there there are so many conversations about what healthcare should be and how it should be delivered and their blue sky or pie in the sky or their their idealized approaches to what it could be but at the end of the day somebody's got to pay for it and somebody's got to get paid for doing the work and so this this work of doc compensation is where the rubber hits the road it's got to be real and got to be built in a way that can continue to be real and evolve in a time that's like so turbulent it's hard yeah. work it is hard work it's hard work to balance to make sure it's all balanced you know making making yeah. sure that I, it's a it's a daunting task and so that's that's why we need that that leadership all right angie this is this is great i've already thought about five of the things i need to think about because of what you shared <laughs> Uh, what have I forgotten to ask? What else do our uh, hospital friends need to know or be thinking of on, on this topic? It's, it's so important right now. You know, one of the things that uh, has come about a couple of times that I don't think is immediately on the radar, but will pop up again as people are able to come up out of the say, you know, come up for a breath of air. Yeah again, related to physician leaders and medical directorship agreements. Some of these medical directorship, or medical directors have worked tirelessly within their organizations during the pandemic as part of war rooms, as part of, you know, pandemic response, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And what happened within those medical directorship agreements to make sure, again, that those physicians were appropriately, adequately, compliantly compensated for that work they did as part of that pandemic response. As you know, there's likely a cap on the number of hours or a cap on the amount of medical directorship compensation. Have again, just balancing out, you know, what the the work that needed to be done and and what happened and compliance. If you think about, have those medical directors exceeded their caps? already at June 30 or at July 31 and how can the organization prepare for that and address that on the front end or before it becomes a another problem right it's already a problem it's a problem that's already happened and we don't even know it yet right right it could have happened and folks don't know that they, don't know. they don't know right boy that, that really puts um, a, a spotlight on things that need to be need to be reviewed going forward for the next time, but also the sort of the grace and relief that needs to be provided because so many people have been part of these command centers and just uh, sacrificed in right. their lives and their time and the time with their families and other things to do this work to keep these organizations whole. Oh, you bet. You bet. Now's a good time too, related to all that, uh, to do a physician compensation risk assessment. If the process wasn't in place now, or then yeah. now is the time to get that in place to really think about, you know, you can quickly look across your physician population and, and categorize them. These are the folks that we can work on another day. These are the folks that are the middle tier. This group needs to be addressed right away. And you know, hopefully that process is in place within organizations so they know which physicians to address first. 
Um, and if that process is, isn't in place, now's a good time to put one in place. Uh, it, it's such a good point because I, I think a number of health systems will be forgiven for not having anticipated the global pandemic and the impact on them. They'll be forgiven the first time. They won't be forgiven for not having anticipated it again. Right. Right. You bet. You bet. The waivers are great, but it's even better when you didn't have to rely on it, right? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> uh, Angie, thank you for this. You're very uh, welcome. Great, great conversation. How timely for our for our, our listeners.